Attention manufacturers, are you looking to take your company culture and employee engagement to the next level? Look no further than TCO Strategies. We offer comprehensive company culture assessments, employee engagement surveys, and leadership development programs designed specifically for manufacturers like you. With our expert team, you'll get the tools you need to understand your employees, improve communication, and drive success. Don't wait. Invest in the future of your business with TCO Strategies today. Welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we travel on cultural journeys in the world of manufacturing. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and I'm thrilled to have with us today a highly regarded manufacturing executive, Chris Blumhoff. Chris has a wealth of experience in the manufacturing industry, having worked in the microelectronic mass flow and pressure sensing industry, the overhead door manufacturing in sector, and as a regional manager with IMEC, where he helped small to mid-sized manufacturers with continuous improvement, strategy deployment, leadership development, and succession planning. Chris currently serves as the Chief Operating Officer of FN Smith Corporation, a family-owned business located in Oregon, Illinois, that provides custom-built solutions for the food industry. Under his leadership, FN Smith has continued to grow and serve several mid-size and large food manufacturers in the breakfast and snack food markets. With his extensive knowledge and experience in manufacturing, we're eager to hear from Chris about his journey and insights into a thriving manufacturing culture. So let's dive right in and welcome Chris to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Hey, Chris, how are you today? I'm good, Jim. Thank you for having me on. Uh, first, I, I want to say I have a deep admiration for you and organizations like yours that are out there helping manufacturers grow, especially the emphasis on uh, small to mid-sized manufacturers and, and a focus on youth and how we can educate them about all the great benefits that exist in manufacturing today. Well, awesome. That That's the nicest first thing that anybody said on the podcast to me so far. So thank you very much, Chris. I, I really appreciate that. Oh, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, tell us a little bit more about uh, FN Smith. Uh, how big are you guys? What exactly are you building over there? So FN Smith is a small family-owned business, about 50 employees, located in Oregon, Illinois, a very small town, about 35 miles south of Rockford, Illinois, up near the Wisconsin border. Our facility has been there since 1948. The Smith family has owned it since 1988. We focus on tooling and specialty equipment for the breakfast food and snack food industry. In the cereal side of the business, they use these giant rolls, think of rolling pins, that are weighing anywhere from 200 to 5,000 pounds, made out of specialty stainless steels and that. We manufacture those rolls and refurbish those rolls. They can get several recycles out of those rolls throughout the lifetime of them. That, that's about half of our business. The other half, then, is specialty conveyors, and packaging equipment, and a lot of one-off equipment. It's rare for us to make any machine a second time without some type of modification to it. You think of the basic roller conveyors you see in distribution companies, that is not the market we play in. We deal with conveyors that you know divert food 
Um, if there's something wrong with, with vision systems or metal detectors, or they're changing elevations, they're walking around poles that can't be relocated and that. that that's the specialty we bring. Okay, that's really cool. Um, that's uh, a, a unique and it, would you say it, it, that's a niche uh, industry for you guys? I, I mean, are there many of your competitors out there? We, we have competitors, but, but it is niche. You, you get in good with the companies. Um, we just build that relationship as trusted advisors and you're just a continued repeat business with them. That's awesome. So uh, the the Smith family has had this uh, had control of the organization, I think you said since 1988. Uh, Chris, when did you join the organization? So I joined the organization in 2018. Uh, the Smith family, as part of their succession plan, was looking to move into that next phase in life without necessarily having a Smith family member uh, lead the company, at least with a boots on the ground perspective. So they're sure. still actively involved, but I've come in to do the day-to-day -day operations for them. Very cool. So Chris, take us on the cultural journey uh, of your time there. What was the culture like when you started there? Uh, where are you now as far as culture and, and where do you want to get your culture uh, at FN Smith? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, culture in itself, uh, every company has it good, bad and different and it's forever changing. Um, when the Smith family decided to go this route with the transition, that was one of the things they're looking to change was, was that culture. And it was like, has the Smith family allowed a certain culture to come about and what can we do to change it? So that's one of the things they tasked me with, let's come in and change the culture. Uh, I would admit when I got into it, the first few months, maybe six months, I found myself just becoming part of the current culture. Uh, and we weren't gonna grow and change if I allowed that to happen. So mm -hmm. I take a step back and say, all right, what, what do we currently have for a culture where do we want to be? Much like what you just asked me there. And the culture we had, it, it was it was rough. It was there, there was a lot of uh, raised voices. There was a lot of vulgar language, not just in a shop environment, but in an office environment. Um, a, lot, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of frustration in that. And I'd start asking myself, why is this culture this way? You know, is it because they were taught to be this way? Is it because they just kind of grew this way on their own? And, and I'm a big believer in that metrics drive behaviors. Yeah. And you also have to have clear definition, roles, and responsibilities. So when I start taking a look at it from that perspective, that, that's how the culture kind of evolved over the years. There, there was few metrics or ever-changing metrics. And if they weren't meeting them, people got anxious and started cutting corners to try to meet certain metrics that may or may not have been the best interest of the business. But then also by not having clearly defined roles and responsibilities, everybody's kind of crossing over and getting in everybody else's way. And then frustrations grow from there. Absolutely. Nothing was being done to diffuse it either. So uh, one of the things we have in place now is called staying in your lane. Uh, we we kind of do it tongue in cheek, you know, but it's yeah. we're really yeah. just defined roles and responsibilities in that. Um, so. The, the, wow. Go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I, so you talk about metrics and uh, I think, I, I agree. I think metrics are key to a healthy culture, right? People have to uh, not only have something that they're being measured on, but they need to be able to connect those metrics to 
the overall mission, vision, and values uh, of the organization, right? So how are you able to go through and not only have a defined mission, vision, and values, but connect those metrics for individual roles to, to those overarching principles of the organization? So first thing we started with is I took the leadership team and I took them through a SWOT analysis just to define where our strengths, our weaknesses, opportunities, threats mm-hmm. existed in that because I just wouldn't want to go focus on weaknesses. I wanted to capitalize on our strengths. What makes Effin Smith great? You know, even though I, I shared kind of a negative viewpoint of the culture, they still did a lot of great things as a company. That's why they've been in business for so many years. So I wanted to highlight that and build on that. And one of the things that came out of it was, you know, there was a sense of teamwork. There was a sense of problem solving, mission accomplishment, so to speak. But then you were to take those weaknesses and identify where the opportunities exist that we could go work on things. From there, we started to develop metrics. Well, I take that back. We started to develop the vision. Mm-hmm. And from that vision, we created metrics that tied to it. It's very simple. I, I'm a fan of three to five metrics. Okay. You, know, you, you get too many metrics, you start looking and it starts to loop what you're trying to accomplish. So at the corporate level, we have five metrics. Okay. And then each department has metrics that if I pull a string on this metric, every department should feel that string pull. Their metric may not be exactly the same as what's at the corporate level, but it's tied to it. An example would be on a, we might have an on-time metric to delivery, but on the engineering side, their on-time metric is to approval drawings. Uh, you know, so that, okay. that's how they can contribute to the overall on-time metric. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and, and how are those metrics tracked? So right now, it, it's a combination through an ERP system and then manually with, you know, the old Excel spreadsheets and that. There's it's still growing as far as we're concerned of how to get that more refined and uh, more automated. You know, uh, and, and I, I recognize the joy of automating uh, that kind of stuff, but I am a huge fan of old fashioned balance scorecards in Excel, right? Um, There's nothing greater, uh, at least from an employee standpoint, than as a leader, from a leader standpoint, seeing what was once red turn green, right? And doing that in Excel is, I don't know, maybe call me old fashioned, but I, I just really enjoy that a lot. It's, it's that visual factory piece, Jim, right? You, you, Absolutely. you see that, right? You can't, yeah. you can't fix what you can't see sometimes. Yeah. So you went through this, you know, you you, you looked at the metrics, you, you did a SWOT analysis, uh, created a vision. Tell us about the process of, of creating that vision statement. And does that vision statement from 2018 or uh, early in your your tenure there, uh, does that vision statement still apply or have you had to go back and uh, adjust it? We've refined it. Um, How we went through it, we spent quite a bit of time creating the vision and the mission statement, really getting focused on just key words in in each of those to make sure it was capturing the essence of who we are, but also what we were striving to become. Because we we didn't want to lose track of that, of where we came from. I think that the history is important not only to me, but to the team, you know, there's a lot of tenured employees there and they like to hang on to that pride, which I respect hundred mm-hmm. um, percent. We have refined it a few times. The mission statement is still the same, but the vision statement has 
hasn't changed as we've evolved, you know, as we've come to better understand um, who we are, how we can grow as a company and the growth that we've experienced in that. So we've modified that to align with that. Uh, on the mission statement, I, I won't read through it. It's got some of the similar things that most people have in the mission statement. But a few key things that are in it is teamwork. Um, we're, we're really big on teamwork and relationships. And not just internally, though, with our suppliers and our customers. Yeah. Um, our facility, you know, was once owned by one of our customers 70 years ago, and they're still one of our top customers today. And so wow. that relationship is important. Um, but with the employees, too, we, we do have low turnover. We put a lot of emphasis on the relationship we have with our employees. Another thing that's in there is development. And this comes from Fred Smith, our owner. We've had an apprenticeship program for over 40 years. You know, before we wow. came from Smith, it was put in place and it's still in place to this day. I, I believe we have eight of our employees are at various levels of that apprenticeship program. It is important to our success, you know, and, and not just at the apprenticeship level, but we focus on training programs with engineering now too. I mean, we want to continue to focus on developments. How long is the apprenticeship program, Chris? Uh, four years. It's a four-year program. We're, we're partnered with local community colleges. They'll take one to two classes a semester. I, I believe we have one now that's asked to take three or four classes. He wants to kind of get through a little quicker, which <laughs> we fully support as long as he's, he's meeting his grades and that. And then we actually have apprenticeship coaches at our facility that meets with each apprentice to help them out if there's any issues with one of their classes they're going through or whatever the case may be. So we, we really put a lot of investment into it, not just from a financial perspective, but you know, the time that we spend so that they can succeed. Uh, that is one of the neatest ideas that I've heard. Um, and, and before the, we started recording, you and I talked a lot about apprenticeship programs and, and the value behind them. Talk to us a little bit more, uh, just on a side note here about that apprenticeship coach. Um, that's, that seems like a really big deal and something that uh, more manufacturers should probably look into. How'd you come up with that? I would agree that we, we had had some students that struggled during a pandemic. I, I think we all struggled learning how to interact face-to-face -face and going into a remote setting. Mm -hmm. um, schooling was no different. In, in the apprenticeship program, there was some bumps along the way. And instead of watching our, our employees struggle and fail we're like let's, let's put a coach in place so someone's going to meet with them each week it, and it's somewhat informal they just go around and check with each apprentice how's this class going how you doing there and we have one or two apprentices that will stay after hours with the coach to work on maybe math or if it's a cnc program they're struggling with or something in blueprint reading that's just not quite clicking yet they'll spend time with them you know so that you know and we we monitor their grades, you know, kind of in a collaboration with the student to make sure they're going to do okay by the end of the semester and that. Wow. And so are your coaches, are they full-time employees with other responsibilities or is their oh, yes. job a hundred percent to be an apprenticeship coach? No, they're, they're journeymen. They've okay. been through the program. Um, we have two major programs. One is the machining side and one is a machine builder. And our current apprenticeship coach, he actually is a journeyman in both disciplines. Wow. So he, he will work with the individuals and make sure they're succeeding. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, <laughs> you just kind of blew my mind a little bit there, Chris. Uh, I, I really like that idea. I'm going to use that with other people I talk to. Um, and it's about the culture, though. I mean, we, we want to show that we're investing in the employees. Yeah. 
I mean, you hear all these battles going on right now with, with the wage wars and all that. And we're a small family owned business. We, we can only do so much on that front. So we've tried to be creative and how else we could help the employees. And this is one of the things that we've come up with is their development as individuals. Their, their success is key to our success. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, so <clears throat> that's kind of going into the pandemic and, and your first couple of years. Where, do, where would you say the culture is now at, at FN Smith? It's it's good. We, we, we comment about it on a fairly regular basis. We're, we're in a good spot. We have our off days. You know, we mm-hmm. recognize that we're getting better as a team at helping each other out when those rough days hit. You know, we, we still have some tension. I, I try to classify it as healthy tension. Yeah. Uh, if there was no tension, I'd probably be concerned, you know, being a fast paced environment with the amount of change that we deal with on a regular basis, you're going to have tension. We're all human beings. We all have things outside of work that as much as we try to say, leave it at the front door, it's going to come in. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll work through the tension and it's it's better and better every day. You know, we, we have an initiative this year where we're trying to infuse more fun into the business. And that's just the phrase we're using is how is this going to be fun? How does it make that fun? In a simple little acts and the team, the leadership team's having a lot of fun. No pun intended. They're doing <laughs> it. So, <laughs> so expand on that a little bit. Tell us about some of the, are there specific activities that are designed to make it more fun? Or are you looking at everyday processes and trying to figure out how you can inject fun into what may be viewed as a mundane task? Tell us a little bit more about it. So that, that's intriguing that you ask it that way. We're not looking to make it a structured approach, right? Okay. So we're letting it be a little more organic where and individualized, right? We, we know of a couple younger employees that may be making a trip to Vegas. So we're having some little fun about what may happen when they're in Vegas type <laughs> of thing. A uh, young apprentice turned 21 a couple weeks ago and before he showed up for work, uh, the team had gone and decorated the workstation he was going to be at that day with just a bunch of balloons in that. Oh, that's and, cool. And, and several people commented to that. Yeah. And, you know, that you, it's just something you're not going to write down and say, okay, every time someone has a birthday, you're going to do this. It, would just, it just happened naturally. Um, there's a Thursday luncheon that occurs where the leadership team is not in charge of this. The members of... Uh, different departments will get together and say, all right, we're going to go eat at such and such a restaurant this week. And, it, and it's all funded by the employees. You know, the, the company doesn't pay for this Thursday luncheon thing. Mm-hmm. And they only get a half hour lunch in the shop. So someone will ahead of time, go take orders, call ahead so that the food's waiting when we show up. And then just go and they have a bunch of laughs, you know, <laughs> just, you know, and, and our CFO ended up joining them one day and, and she made kind of an off color comment and just lost it. And that's all the team talked about for the next three weeks. <laughs> you know, they just like, oh, you will get, she, she can just be, have as much fun as we do in the shop. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's little things like that you can't script. Yeah. But what I do in my role is I encourage it. You cool. know, um, there was a little banter going on in email the other day. It was, it was kind of a, a copy reply all. And it started to evolve into a bunch of fun jabs at individuals with, with pictures of workstations. <laughs> we, we let it go, right? And it, 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 it died down at, by the end of the day. And it wasn't that it bogged down emails, but people talked about it. There was smiles on their faces and it came back up. Oh, it was a pretty good zinger on so-and-so yesterday, you know? So it, it's things like that that we're looking for when we talk about fun. That's it's awesome. Just, 
keeping it lively. We know it's tense. You know, we, like I mentioned, we we come off a rough year with some supply chain challenges. Instead of you know feeling sorry for ourselves, we're just going to look ahead at this year and smile on our face and have fun. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and, and you talk about your CFO that go that went in and sat in on the luncheon. Uh, I'm sure that the off-color remark that was made was out of character maybe from what they had perceived uh the cfo as previously right so it it opened a little bit of vulnerability to to that person and and turned them into a human being rather than just the cfo that counts money right that's right that's right that's that's really neat that's really neat so chris where do you want the culture to get there? I mean, it sounds like you've got a great culture, right? It sounds like you've you've taken the steps over five years or so to get it to where you know you're you're seeing lower turnover, you're seeing discretionary effort out of your employees. Where can you go from here? So where we're going from here is we I want the department heads to have more ownership in what's going on okay. Um, from cradle to grave. When we look at as our orders move through the system and that most, most of what we do is a custom order. So it's going to come in, go through engineering before it goes to the shop and then on to a customer. Sometimes there's uh, on-site testing with the customer before we ship, but a lot of the process improvements that we're working on right now, but we've got a newer leadership team in place and we're trying to, work with them to take more ownership of how to improve the processes, how we can improve on our metrics, but do it from a fun perspective in that. Uh, we, we have a emerging leaders program we put in place two years ago. Okay. And three of the members that are on our leadership team today came out of that emerging leaders program. Wow. So it's been nice to see that. And now they're recommending other people for our next round of emerging leaders, which starts later this spring um, to help, grow them in that. And so that, to me, was a positive sign. Instead of Chris going out and recommending who's going to be in the program, I now have our younger leaders starting to recommend future leaders, which is fantastic to see. And they're they're taking traits and learnings and discussions from leadership meetings to identify who these individuals, or who would be the right individual for this. How did you develop this training program? I mean, is this something that w- is homegrown? Is it, are you using an outside resource? Tell us a little bit more about that. So it's a little bit homegrown. It comes from my days when I served with IMEC uh, as I worked with small to mid-sized manufacturers. Y- you know, you- you've heard too often, any of us that have been in industry long enough, you take a really great employee and you're like, bam, I got to make them a leader. Right. And all of a sudden, they just fall apart and fail. And all of a sudden, you've lost this employee because you moved them into a role that they either weren't ready for or, or just weren't fit for. But yep. it's to a point where you can't take them back to where they once were, and, and you've lost them forever. Mm-hmm. And, and so working with some of these other companies, over time, we, we developed this emerging leaders program that lasts about eight, nine months, depending what topics you pick. And we would put individuals into the program that – are definitely, or just got moved into a leadership role or potentially a leadership role, or even a maybe. And I've seen employees, not just from F and Smith, but others come forward and say, I really appreciate this training. I, I've learned that leadership's not my path. And now wow. you haven't moved someone out of a great position and you take them down a different path in their developments. And then you might also find someone you weren't even thinking about 
Mm -hmm. Look at this person. They've really stepped up and shined. I need to give them more leadership experience. Um, I have one like that now. He's not in a leadership role, but I, I work with him as, okay, as an emerging leader, and he has an influence in the company, even though he doesn't have a leadership title. How can you take this influence that you have and show leadership and help drive improvement in that? Um, so it, it's an eight-month program that we do. We, we pick several disciplines. You know, We, we go through DISC assessments just so they can understand personalities, not just their own, but when they start working with others on their team, oh, this, this person's going to function this way. Here's how I can best interact with them in that. Mm -hmm. Instead of asking people all to conform to one way of behaving, right? recognize that we're all different and we all behave and think and approach things differently than that. Uh, we, we talk about financial stuff. We take them through some lean manufacturing stuff just to give them, get them in that continuous improvement mindset in that. Um, we take them through how to deal with difficult situations, how to have uh, those those uncomfortable conversations either with a peer or, a, you know, someone under you on your team and that. So it, it's been a really good program. Now, we use outside resources for the training. I, I feel sure. it's better that way instead of, oh, here's Chris up here again, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and I don't participate in the classes and I don't have my senior leaders participate in the classes. It's about the emerging leaders. You know, we don't want anything to be taken away from their learning. Wow. Uh, that's, that's another really cool program. And I, and I love the use of uh, the disc assessment, right? Um, yes. It, assessments like that, whether it's disc or one of the numerous other ones, um, are great not only for self-awareness, right? But also, how do you interact with people? And, and I think that's that's a part that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily understand about those assessments is, yeah, sure, you're learning about yourself, but you're also learning about this cohort or this group of people that you're either working with or will be working with. And by understanding how they think and they operate and what their values and behaviors are, you can really start to understand the best way to have healthy conflict, to hold them accountable, to to do things of that nature. Uh, am I right in in your experience? Oh yeah, that's exactly right. You know, recognizing that you know our engineers are falling into one specific category, whereas myself and a couple other leaders are in a different category. And it's like, oh, that's why they react that way. You know, so yeah. <laughs> we approach them differently when when we want to have conversations or have brainstorming sessions or whatever the case may be. Wow. And, and so one thing I hear a lot when it comes to uh, two of your programs that you have, right? So you've got the, the apprenticeship program, but also you've got uh, this emerging leaders program, your company of under 50 employees, Chris, I, I hear all the time, we don't have the, the staff, we don't have, we're not big enough to have these kinds of programs put in place. Tell us how you made that decision. I, I know the apprenticeship program is a little bit older than your time, but uh, tell us about your decision to, to keep those going, especially being under 50 employees and, and how those employees manage their time and are able to still perform uh, out on the shop floor or in the office. I go back to our mission statement where I mentioned uh, employee development is a key component of our mission statement. Uh, Fred Smith, you know, who originally started the FN Smith, business, it's always been his number one thing. And I support that 100%. It doesn't matter how big we are. If you're not developing your employees, you're not going to get the growth or the performance that you're expecting. 
Yeah. You know, we, we because we do custom work, we don't set up a machine and then run a thousand parts. We set up a machine, run one part, tear it down, set up again. So I, I can't have a setup operator and then just an operator sitting or a setup man and just an operator sitting off to the side waiting to push buttons. Mm -hmm. we, we all have to understand how to run the machines in that manner. And the best way to do it is to put them through those apprentice classes and sure. get them the best education you can. And the same thing with the leaders. The leaders are no different than your apprentices that are wanting to be journeymen. You, you need to have a strong leadership team in place you know, to have the culture that you're looking for to achieve the metrics you want to achieve. And if you're not developing your leadership or even your future leaders, you're not going to get the results you want. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Now, uh, Chris, do you measure the culture at all? I mean, other than uh, what you've shared with us, how do you measure the culture at FN Smith? That's always a tough question. Can you even measure culture? How do you put a value to culture? We actually do employee engagement surveys. Do you? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. We, we've, we'll, we'll do a full-blown one, and then we sometimes we'll do like a pulse one where we'll come in and ask some scaled-back questions just to see how things have shifted. You know, are we on track with what we talked about? And we take the information from those surveys and put it into some of the initiatives we're working on. Wow. Um, we're in fact, we're, we're, we haven't done one this past year. We're due this spring for another employee engagement survey. And I'm, I'm anxious to see how it comes out based on how we're behaving right now. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, that's that's typically their cultural assessment or employee engagement survey itself uh, is going to be the best way to, to truly measure. Um, but, you know, the the easy part is doing the survey the the hard part is creating that action plan um <laughs> after the survey right it's it's what comes after and and some of the focus groups that are uh done and and things of that nature walk us through the process uh of how that's worked for you guys okay so i i want to comment on the survey so there is the numerical come through score these categories you know how would you rate the company but then we, we bring the employees through in about groups of eight or nine. And then after each scoring session, and we're using an outside resource for this, mm -hmm. um, that individual will keep three people back and they'll have three very in-depth questions where they'll have about an hour discussion with each employee. So we're not just looking at numerical data. We're also getting some very valuable feedback and some open-minded opinions about specific topics that the leadership team might have identified for the facilitator. So now we take the numerical stuff and see kind of how everything graded out. And then we take these comments. Uh, we'll roll it into the engineering team and start talking. You know, we we'll, can't go fix everything at once, right? So we'll right. pick like the top two or three and start talking through them. You know, here is an issue that we should go look at. How do we address this? One was one shot cleanliness. Um, forever a challenge in, in some machine shops, you know, where we're no, <laughs> we're no different than that, but that comes up. And so we started assigning individuals or teams now to go start addressing those things. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, how do you, how do you administer the survey? Um, you know, it's a, a, a shop, it, it's a manufacturing facility. Does everybody have access to a computer? Do you send it out to cell phones? Does everybody have a smartphone that they can do it on? How do you administer this? So, so being a former IMEC employee, I still call on them quite often. They will actually come in with about a dozen tablets. Wow. And the employees will sit around the table with some privacy and they will fill out that information in small groups. You wow. know, 
they're not supposed to be talking to each other. I don't ever peek my head in to see what's going on. But yeah, they'll go through <laughs> and sort that way in the tablet. And then, and then iMac will compile the information for me. That's great. That's awesome. And I, I want people listening uh, that draw the correlation between manufacturing culture podcast and TCO strategies to know he, Chris isn't on here because he's a client. He uses somebody else for the, these services, even though this is what I do, right? Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I want, uh, that's one of the things that I always try and draw the line between TCO and the, the podcast here is I, I don't want people to think that my guests are on because they're clients or customers or uh, have paid me in any way, shape or form. I'm doing this for the, the manufacturing culture movement, not for uh, monetary gain here. So um, thanks, Chris. I, I, I mean, it sounds like IMEC has, has a great program set up for manufacturers there. Uh, it, and if you don't want to share, please don't. Is there a cost associated uh, from IMEC for this service? There is a cost, and it varies depending on the number of employees. Um, the varies depending on how much, how long they're on site. You know, if they're going to come in and do a pulse survey where they can get everything done in the day, I'm going to ballpark. Hopefully, they're not listening. Maybe around five thousand um, dollars. You know, if I got them in more than one day and I got them doing some deeper dives on some specific topics, then obviously that price goes up. Sure. And they do a pre-assessment. They'll sit with the leadership team, kind of, all right, where's your issues at that you see? What are you thinking? And then they'll come in and do the survey. Then they'll do the follow or wrap up with us with all the information and data. Yeah. Okay. That's. But I'm sure yours. I'm sure yours is much better, Jim. <laughs> Everybody listening should call Jim. <laughs> no, I. Again, I just want healthier cultures in manufacturing, man. And and if there are other organizations, uh, I want to celebrate them just as much as people have celebrated TCO. And uh, I mean, I won't turn you down if you give me a call. But if you've got a, a local resource there that's that's great um and please use them because this is a, a big deal for for the future of manufacturing and, and making sure we have a sustained workforce um so chris tell us a, a little bit about the the results i mean you've given us a lot of initiatives that that you've improved that you've implemented right so the apprenticeship coach uh just the investing in in the employees this uh fun initiative um you know, the, the idea of uh, taking more ownership and process improvement. So how are you going to measure the results uh, for the, the taking more ownership? And how do you currently measure the results uh, of the, the fun and, uh, you know, the investing part in that? Or is that part of uh, doing the engagement surveys? Part of that, you know, part of that measurement comes from engagement surveys, but part of for the most part, if these things are working, we're seeing in our metrics at the end of the day. Yeah. What, what each department is measured on. So th this we kicked off 2023 a little bit different in years past. You know, so I, I set the here's our five corporate metrics. This is what we need to go do. But instead of me defining each department's metric, I sat with the department has just this past two weeks, and here's your, here is what we need to achieve as a corporation. How does the engineering department contribute? So they have to go away, come back in, in about two weeks with five metrics and five tactical tasks on how they're going to 
help us achieve our overall goals, but how their metrics are linked to the corporate metrics to help achieve it. But in that, there are several themes that have to keep in mind. And one is fun. How are you incorporating fun into it? You know, another is keep it simple. I mean, I am an engineer by trade also, so I will make fun of engineers. <laughs> we, we have a knack of really making, it's taking a simple problem and making a very complex solution to it, right? So uh, how do we Absolutely. keep it simple going forward? Uh, teamwork is another part. It has to be teamwork involved. You know, whether you're utilizing just the engineering team or crossing into other teams to, to develop this. Uh, another one is we're using a quote to cash model, a value stream map. How does your initiative fit into this value stream map and how does it link to the other departments as they drop into the value stream map with their initiatives? So that's what everybody was sent away with. So they have some ownership in it. And it's that part of that culture where I'm looking for them to take more ownership. And then I see how they come back with their metrics. And if they're hitting their metrics each month, each quarter, and by the end of the year, then we know that we've had success with it. Well, yeah. I mean, anytime you have uh, a culture of collaboration, you're also going to have a culture of ownership, right? Because yeah. the people are, are uh, they have a, a feeling that they're contributing to what those metrics, to the selection process, I, I guess right. is a better way to put it, right? That's right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Chris, uh, what else do you have? A any other tidbits? This is great. Usually I'm not uh, one to be short on words, but uh, you covered everything so well for me that I don't have any more questions for you. Chris, any other tidbits of knowledge that you want to drop on us? Uh, tidbits, you know, I, I always throw these these one-liners out there with the teams and that. Um, you know, we do have healthy tension. You know, the phrase we've been starting to use more is, I'm going to reference Ted Lasso. The team's getting kind of cross-eyed because I keep going back to Ted Lasso with some leadership <laughs> notes. That's my that. favorite show, by the way. I love uh, that There's just so many good leadership nuggets in Absolutely. that show. I, I watched it again as I was preparing my 2023 year. <laughs> but, you know, it's we don't have to be best friends to be great teammates. That's we just need to have mutual respect for each other. Yeah. You know, and I've had, I've got some very diverse personalities and at times they'll butt heads. And I remind them, I don't need you to be best friends. Yeah. I, I don't want you to be best friends. You know, if you do great, but we do, we want to strive to be great teammates and we just need to have mutual respect. Mm -hmm. and, and that's starting to sink in. People are starting to understand. It's like, all right, we are different and we have different hobbies and likes and interests outside of work and that. Yep. Um, you know, the whole staying in your lane. We, we have fun with that at work now. Some people have taken to the extreme. But, you know, let's just make sure we're staying in our lane, understanding roles and responsibilities. Trust your teammates to do their job in their lane. And then yeah. you wouldn't have to worry about stepping outside your lane. Um, you know, little, little things like that, that, they just really start to hang on to, and it's made a big difference for us. That's awesome. I, I've always used, uh, when you talk about, you know, trust and, and staying in your lane. Uh, I love F1 racing uh, for oh, yes. one and the fastest two seconds in sports, right. Is the pit stop during an F1 race. Yes. And I, it, it, with teams that I've led, I've always used that pit stop as a, an example of exactly what you're talking about with staying in your lane. 
during an F1 pit stop, the guy who brings out the tires is not worried about making any adjustments or even the brakes or taking off the lug nuts. His sole job is to carry a tire from point A to point B, right? And uh, so if, if everybody who works on a team has that mentality of focusing on their job and their job specifically, they can get amazing things done just like uh, the pit crews in F1. That's exactly right. And it's funny you mentioned that because one of the team's members brought that up just yesterday. Really? That's pretty yes, cool. Referencing that. Yes. Yes. It's, it's true. It's, I, I think I, I'll use it also in the, in the lean manufacturing. We're having those discussions that yeah, you, you can do this in two seconds. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, Chris, uh, thank you very much. That's a wrap for today's episode of the manufacturing culture podcast. I want to extend a big thank you to our guest, Chris Blumhoff for sharing his insights and experience experiences with us today. Chris's journey and achievements in the manufacturing industry provide a valuable perspective on what it takes to create a thriving culture in the world of manufacturing. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode and have taken away some valuable insights and ideas for your own manufacturing operations. If you have any questions for Chris or comments about the episode, please feel free to reach out to us at manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Join us again next time for another exciting episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we will go on another cultural journey to explore the company cultures in the world of manufacturing. Until then, have a great day and keep making things. Mm -hmm.